0: Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited to chat with you.
1: Uh, Thanks very much for having me on, Jay. I appreciate
0: it. My pleasure. Now, why don't we get started by speaking a little bit about your portfolio? I'm curious, before we get into this, just for context, where you have your wealth stored right now. What does your portfolio look like, Sam?
1: I mean, personally, uh, most of it is in uh, equities, uh, mostly mutual funds, uh, index funds for the most part. Um, Because of the type of work I do writing research for uh, institutional investors, I have to be careful about my own personal holding and personal trading to make sure there's no conflicts of interest, Um, particularly as an independent, you know, research provider. uh, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, the clients know that I'm not uh, doing anything, uh, you know, kind of front running and all those kind of things uh, when I write research about uh, certain stocks or assets. Um, But uh, for the most part, it's in, you know, diversified
0: mutual funds, uh, mostly uh, U.S. and global equities. US and global equities, now the clients that you advise, right, mainly institutional investors, um, talk to me a little bit about where you're seeing trends in capital allocation on that front. Where is money going right now?
1: Well, you know, certainly lately, a lot of it has been going into uh, your cash, uh, defensive holdings, you know, people, people looking for uh, something to protect them from volatility. Um, and that volatility is coming across all assets, uh, including you know, bonds, you know, long-term bonds, which are often considered kind of the safe asset have not been at all this year. Um, you know, currencies have been volatile, commodities have been volatile. You know, there's really been almost no place for an institutional investor, even with a, a broad remit, uh, to hide this year. So, uh, you know, cash has become popular, uh, particularly as interest rates, you know, here in the U.S. have risen. Um, so, I think there's a lot of defensiveness out there right now. Um, people kind of making smaller bets, uh, trying to uh, to protect you know, what they have and not, not, you know, go out on too far out on a limb uh, just yet waiting for things to stabilize uh, is kind of the message I've
0: been getting from a lot of people. And are you, are you, this might be a silly question, but are you surprised at all that the U.S. dollar still holds up as well as it does as that ultimate safe haven asset class? And the reason I ask this is because a lot of my content focuses on the precious metal space. And within that industry, there's a lot of critics of the U.S. dollar and the vulnerability of it and all of this. And I always listen to that and I say, okay, great. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with the U.S. dollar, but relative to every other currency, there's no question about where you want to be, right? And I get a lot of pushback on that. But, you know, I would look right now, like people have voted, right? U.S. dollar's up. It's the only index that looks great right now. And so do you ever get pushback from your clients when you are, are recommending maybe the dollar trade or talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I, I hear a lot of the same things sometimes about the dollar kind of as a, from a structural standpoint, and then also sometimes from just more of a tactical trading standpoint. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, saying whatever might be wrong with the dollar or the U.S. economy, um, you know, everywhere else is worse. Um, there, there is no real alternative in terms of uh, a currency that would be safer or more liquid or, you know, something like that uh, in the world right now. Um, you know, the euro is probably the closest competitor, but it's been very weak um, and it, it's just, you know, it doesn't have the same, you know, a lot of the, some of the same benefits and certainly not the history that the U.S. dollar does. So anytime someone says they don't like the dollar, I always ask them, well, OK, what what do you prefer? What are you going to go into? Mm. And they might say sometimes it go into the Swiss franc or, you know, one or the yen or some you know, another it's kind of considered safe currency. Um, but that's usually more on a tactical basis rather than you know, a long-term structural thing, because those currencies simply aren't big enough to handle you know, all the money that's currently in the US dollar in, this, in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from a structural standpoint, it's gonna be hard to knock the dollar off of its perch um, in terms of just you know, the, the, the place people wanna go. Um, now, right now, of course, higher interest rates in the US will naturally tend to bring money into the US um, relative to say Europe or Japan. Uh, you know, Switzerland, places like that, where interest rates are still quite low. Um, So there is, you know, you know, an obvious reason to hold more dollars now, just because you get paid more to hold dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think um, in terms of, you know, general stability, liquidity, um, it's it's hard to to find an alternative to the dollar. And so I think that's, that's going to be like that for a while longer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would speculate my lifetime now, if, uh, you know, but this dollar rally we're seeing right now probably will roll over right in the maybe near to medium term. And my question there for is, you know, where's that cash gonna to go to next, right? Where does the puck go next? And do you wanna speculate on that for me, Sam? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think you're
1: right in the sense that the dollar's had a really big move. There's a lot of bull- bullishness on the dollar right now, um, you know, more so than for, for a number of years. Um, my guess, you know, if I had to guess, would be that if, if things get better in the world generally, um, in terms of you know global economic growth, uh, you know COVID, you know war in Ukraine, things like that. That I think uh, you know actually Europe, and uh, the euro might see uh, you know some some of the money go back there that's just come out of the euro recently uh, where it's been so weak. I think that's kind of the potential. You know, I guess right now it'd be a contrarian trade in the sense that you know that you'd be going against the trend uh, recently. But I think that that Europe has you know you know some potential to to, to recover um, if things get a bit better globally. Um, if things don't get better, um, then I think, you know, a safe haven currency like the yen or the franc are going to be where people rush to if they don't like the dollar as much. Um, so I think it's, it's a question of, you know, if you're willing to take a bit of risk, uh, if things are looking a little bit better globally. Um, you know, a currency like the euro would look good or, or the pound. Um, but uh, if, if not, then you're going to stick to safe haven currencies.
0: Right. Right. Now, what are you most concerned about at this moment, Sam, when you look at the global economy? I mean, you're in the business of providing research to those who are allocating capital. Are there any headlines that are most concerning to you?
1: I think the big, you know, one of the big risks right now is that, uh, you know, the, the Fed and the central banks in general will go too far. They'll over tighten. They'll, 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 you know, be looking at the, the lagging kind of CPI inflation data and they'll keep raising rates even while the economy is clearly slowing down. Um, and I think that's, we're kind of near that point. We're getting closer to that point now. I think we haven't over tightened yet, um, and we could probably withstand, you know, somewhat more higher rates uh, from here. But I think that um, the, the, the risk there is, is that policy over tightens because we've already seen, in my view, fiscal policy in the U.S. certainly has tightened a lot from where it was, you know, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you know historic stimulus for a while, and now it's gone very, very dramatically the other direction, and is actually starting to go f- from sort of. What I would think of as more of a neutral kind of uh, stimulative effect to almost contractionary, um, as you know, tax receipts are going up and you know fiscal spending is going down in the U.S. So I think that is putting the brakes on things, as long, along with the Fed raising rates, and those two things combined are going to run the risk of, of over overdoing it in uh, a bid to sort of you know break break inflation, which I think will probably come down by itself naturally, um, mm. you know, over the next six or twelve months. Um, gotcha. Now, you know, that's a risk that's being driven by the big picture risks of uh, COVID, still mostly in China, and uh, of course uh, Ukraine. Uh, and so those supply related issues are really um, the ongoing risks, and how uh, countries and you know and everyone else manages them uh, is, is the bigger risk. Um, and those are certainly been things that have kind of you know piled on. Essentially, you know, we had the initial wave of COVID. Now in, in the Western countries, it's gotten a lot better, but China's really struggling with it now still. Uh, And then you had Ukraine come along on top of all that uh, and restrict, you know, energy and food supplies, uh, you know, in Europe. Um, And and so that's kind of been a a big one to punch on supply. I think that's really getting over that's going to take a while. Um, I think people have taken steps towards that, but I think it's going to be the big risk going forward is how that's
0: managed. Interesting. Now, I've heard that theme a handful of times that one of the biggest risks we're facing right now is that the Fed over tightens, takes this policy too far Maybe the inflation expectations become a bit too excited. And like you said, you know, this may come down in six to 12 months. Maybe we're seeing peak inflation already. You know, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. So run this forward for me. What's the consequence of the Fed over-tightening? How does that affect and impact the real economy and the market?
1: Well, I think to some degree, you know, what the Fed mostly has influence over, of course, are the interest-sensitive parts of the economy, which is housing, uh, autos, and you know other sort of uh, you know things where people have to borrow a lot of money, and we're already seeing the housing market uh, kind of slow down pretty rapidly. Um, and we're seeing that in some of the macro data with uh, you know home sale data and uh, mortgage applications have plunged to almost nothing now. Um, you know people aren't used to seeing a you know five and a half six percent mortgage rate in the U.S. Uh, it's been you know many many years since anyone's seen that. And so between that and the home price appreciation that's already uh, happened. Um, just housing affordability is back to 2006, 2007 levels. Um, So that's really already had a big impact and the Fed hasn't even even done raising rates yet Mm. Um, because of course the market anticipated a lot of this and mortgage rates have already gone up much more than what the Fed has done um, in anticipation. So uh, I think if the Fed keeps pushing and keeps pushing, um, you're going to get not only an inverted yield curve, which tends to be bad for the financial system, um, you're going to get housing really, you know, cracking under pressure, and then you'll follow along with autos um, and everything else that's interest sensitive will start to break down uh, because uh, people just can't afford it anymore. Um, And so I think that's the risk is that um, the economy is already slowing down to a point where normally inflation would would slow. Um, You look at leading indicators, uh, you look at, you know, kind of the current, you know, uh, GDP growth, things like that. Those are already at levels that would say, okay, we're at moderate growth and slowing. Mm. So you probably shouldn't need to tighten any more. But if you look at CPI data, you'd say, oh no, we've got to go much higher on interest rates. And you know, the Fed is under a lot of political pressure, public pressure to you know do something about it. Mm. Um, And I think that's the risk is that they push that, you know, too far to make it look like they're doing something um, rather than responding to the data that they, you know, they can see it too. Um, But it's a question of, you know, almost being peer pressured into raising rates further than they really think they should.
0: Right, right, and an impact of that that I'm seeing locally anyways is that as rates go up, you know, fewer people are applying for mortgages, you said it, that's increasing the population of renters and our rental market now is crazy hot, right? If the housing market's cooled off, rents are hitting all time highs and my little town and down in Vancouver only half an hour away. And, you know, when I think about that, I wonder how that plays out, right? Does that play out in, again, in favor of those who own the assets, they increase their yield on those assets simultaneously, housing prices come down and they're more able to leverage into new acquisitions. Do you have any thoughts on how that scenario unfolds and plays out?
1: Yeah, there's definitely been a big increase in, um, you know, sort of uh, people buying residential real estate in order to rent it um, from, you know, kind of the Blackstones and so forth all the way down. Mm um, as a sort of, a, as a business model that, that didn't really, wasn't nearly as big, you know, in, in past years. Um, and some of that is just kind of the natural search for, for, for yield for, you know, for real assets, um, besides, you know, stocks and bonds, financial assets, um, and to take advantage of the kind of, you know, what people think might be a structural demand for, you know, for housing and, and, mm-hmm. and lack of supply. Um, but I think what the, you know, the risk there is that, uh, that's all very finance sensitive. Meaning if, if, if the, the cost of money goes up too far, all that becomes unprofitable um, at some point, and then you see all those buyers that have been in the market now, you know, retreat, and you start to have you know a pullback. Now, the, what is better this time is that the banking system um, and, and the mortgages and things are not nearly as risky as they were, say, in two thousand six, two thousand seven, when we had the real housing crisis. Um, banks have been much more conservative about who they lend to and and how much they've lent um, mm-hmm. in the last few years. Uh, it's been more to high, you know, high credit score borrowers and things like that. So I don't think the banking system as a whole is going to feel the same type of pressure, although it will become less profitable because of fewer mortgages and more write-offs. Mm. Um, it won't come under the same pressure as it did, you know, um, whatever it was, 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's the you know the good side in some sense, but I think there is some downside to, to housing prices potentially and uh, and to the people who have leveraged themselves into that market Right. Um, uh, whether it be you know private investors or, or publicly traded firms or whatever, so okay. I think that's that's the risk. There is that all that money that's come in starts to come out again, um, and then
0: there's dislocations as a result. Right. Okay. So we talked a little bit about I would call it like the defensive strategy, which is the flight to dollars, right? And we're seeing that that's definitely consensus are you recommending any of your clients start playing offense anywhere? Like, are you getting aggressive anywhere? Are equities at a level where you're excited about getting into that market? Um, talk to me about that. Where's the offensive play?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been uh, you know, tough lately because we've had so many sort of mixed signals and unusual historical situations um, where normally you'd say, all right, you should buy low beta stocks, defensive stocks, which is what a lot of people have been doing except for the fact that say energy stocks have been some of the best performers this year, although not just lately, um, and they're, they're high beta stocks. Mm. And so you've had a, a sort of a strange disconnect where some of the riskiest stocks in terms of their volatility and the sort of risk profile have actually been the best performers, even though the market as a whole has been down and therefore would normally favor the, the low risk stocks, the consumer staples and utilities and so forth. Yeah. Now we have been starting to see you know, um, some of that you know, change a little bit lately. You know, energy stocks have come down a bit um, and uh, you know there, there's been a little bit of a balance in some of the growth stock technology and so forth uh, recently so if I was going to look for something more sort of offense uh, related I would probably look more towards the like technology and growth stocks that have been beaten down badly this year uh, and that had gotten very overvalued you know towards the end of last year um, as a place to go as growth in the overall US and global economy starts to slow again you know rates are higher things are, are slowing down I think the uh, you know, the premium for a growth stock may start to come back, not right away, but, you know, over the coming months. So in terms of a rotation from the kind of value, commodity-oriented stocks have done very, very well over the last, say, 12 months. Um, I think you might see a rotation back towards the, uh, you know, the tech stocks that have uh, mm-hmm. been beaten up pretty badly lately. Um, but, you know, some of them, of course, will, will go away. But the, some of the, the ones that, ha- that hang around and have real earnings and uh, so forth will uh, probably be the ones to, to look for if you're looking for offense, over the next, say, six to 12 months.
0: Okay. Do you encourage your clients to have an allocation to gold?
1: Um, Not as a sort of a structural matter. Um, You know, there are times when commodities and and gold in particular, you know, will start to look attractive. Um, But I think, uh, you know, I have a hard time analyzing gold, at least from an asset allocation standpoint, in terms of, you know, saying, you know, what the real fundamental drivers are beyond just sort of risk sentiment in general. Um, You know, it's sort of, um, you know, it's hard to, you certainly can't analyze it from a standpoint of your know, earnings and cash flows. And, uh, it doesn't always behave as you would expect when it's, you know, risk on risk off, you know, that there's been a risk off market, but gold, you know, hasn't done very well lately. Um, so I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a tough one you know, for me to make strong recommendations for, and, and some of my clients, you know, have mandates that would not allow them to buy it anyway. Uh, at least directly, you can own gold miners, for instance, um, yeah. the, the companies but they're uh some of them can't can own physical commodities um so it's, it's partly a matter of what the clients you know are, are focused on or what their mandates are uh and part of it is you know um it's hard to, to draw a straight line between a lot of the indicators that i watch and what gold prices do yeah. um so uh, i'm you know much more comfortable with you know equities debt you know uh currencies that kind of thing where it's a little bit more uh, of a direct relationship with the fundamentals
0: makes sense okay so if a client came to you today sam and said i have a million dollars sam your only goal is to protect the purchasing power of this million dollars time horizon is short it's only five years right where do you go with that million dollars where, where do you put it
1: i mean if you if you really are only worried about protecting purchasing power um then you, you have to look at tips uh they're not uh you know the treasury you know inflation protection securities they're, they're not especially attractive uh, but they do at least have a positive yield now, which they hadn't had for for several years. Um, so I think if you really are only focused on uh, you know purchasing power protection rather than any kind of growth, um, then you you'd want a pretty hefty allocation to TIPS. Now, I would keep some allocation probably to uh, low volatility equities, so mm-hmm. like a low volatility fund um, uh, that would have you know a decent dividend yield and you know stable growth over time with, with you know moderate volatility, kind of a mix of. Uh, of, of you know tips and, uh, and low vol equities um, uh, would, would probably be the best way to do that.
0: Same client then comes to you and says, okay, Sam, I also have 100 grand here. I don't care if I lose it. I want your wildest speculation idea. Same time horizon, five years. Where would you look to? High risk, exciting upside. What catches your attention?
1: Um, I mean, I think... I can say that I think some of the, uh, you know, the, the small cap uh, growth tech stocks that have been beaten down the most, if you were careful about it, um, you could probably pick some of those that would do well. And like I say, some degree, the European stocks, which a lot of people are very negative on right now, hmm. um, that those some would be some of the places I would look for kind of higher risk areas uh, that might uh, do well, you know, say over that, that time horizon. Um, you have to be slightly, you know, careful about it. But I think those are, are areas that because they are, beaten up and gotten much cheaper now would be a place to put some, uh, some more of the more speculative money. Um, I don't, you know, really pick individual uh, names um, so much. Uh, I have a sort of quantitative process that can do that for clients. But um, I think that, you know, small cap growth stocks um, that have really gotten, you know, beaten up badly if uh, you know, if the, the pressure from interest rates and, and things like that uh, kind of is, is reduced, I think there, there's going to be uh, some potentially some rotation in some of the stronger areas there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love that. Look, Sam. Thanks so much for coming on today. I want to point people to where they can find you, uh, more about the firm, more about yourself. Where should we send them?
1: Oh, so millstreetresearch.com um, has got uh, all the background on my work. It's got some sample reports. Uh, I have a blog there that I update about once a week. Uh, that'll just talk about you know macro topics and show some of the indicators and things that I look at. Um, and there's all. I'm also uh, Mill Street Research is on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, so I'm posting you know most days. Uh, some brief comments on what I see in the macro world. Um, So I would say for those who want to get a feel for what I'm doing, um, uh, also on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me there on Mill Street Research. So uh, the website or social media are good places to follow. And otherwise, you can certainly uh, reach out. Uh, Info at millstreetresearch.com is the email address. Uh, You can find me there as well.
0: Okay, awesome. Once again, I appreciate it, Sam. Thanks so much. No, my pleasure.